Well, welcome to Suad, Sunday evening with a difference. And this is where we all come together as a family and we, we study God's word together, a little bit more relaxed than next door. And um, so hopefully we'll go into Psalm 73 together and, and enjoy discovering some of the truths. But let me ask you a question. How many people here have been a Christian for 40 years? 40 years or more. Praise God. 30 years? 20, 15, 10, right, so I'm going to stop there now. So how many people here are not a Christian yet? Okay, I don't expect you to put a hand up for that. <laughs> I would love you for you, but I'm not. Now, especially for those people who have been a Christian for 40 years, have you enjoyed being a Christian every day of those 40 years? Have you ever thought... They're getting away with something I can't do. Have you ever, in the middle of the winter, trying to push start your car, seen the person who's just bought their brand new Mercedes next door will spin the sludge up on you while you're trying to start your car, thinking, if I lived like him, I'd be a lot richer than me? Let me ask a little bit more serious question. Anybody had a medical diagnosis, which is unfavorable, and thought, how did Hugh Hefner get to 91, where I'm not even going to make 80? How did Robert Mugabe still go in at 95? How did Fidel Castro make his 90s? And here I am, living for the Lord, just trying to, to live a life that's pleasing, and I'm battling with the very simplest things. Even taking a lung of oxygen is painful for me. Because if you've never had those feelings, you probably have them to come because they come from time to time. And you're not alone. Psalm 73 was written by Asaph. And as you go through Psalm 73, everybody quotes the bit at the end where Asaph has gone through his struggles and come out at the end, and he is victorious, and he is strong. But they forget to get to verse 25. You've got to go through verse 3 to 11. So because it's a, a relaxing setting, I'm going to sit down now, put my feet up, kick the chair back, and let's look at Psalm 73 together. First thing I'd like to talk about a bit is who Asaph was. Asaph was not some noob Christian who had um, just been around the block for a Christian for two or three years. He was a worship leader of Israel. He was, you could say, an elder. Um, he was one of the three most important worship leaders under King David. You remember when King, King David was dancing when the ark came back into, the, into Jerusalem? Asaph was one of the people who was, who was orchestrating that worship. He was a very very mature believer. And yet he writes the first half of this psalm. 
God used Asaph to write not just this psalm, but another, I can't remember now, 10, 15 psalms as you go into the 80s, the Psalm 83 to 89, a couple before 73. Asaph is used of God mightily. And yet today, we're going to read about his darkest thoughts where he actually thought at one stage, is it worth being a Christian? Well, of course, being a child of God because this is an Old Testament. So technically, this is a song of wisdom. You can split up the Psalms into different ways. This will be classified as a song of wisdom. And a song of wisdom is one of the Psalms which people battle with an aspect of life. And usually they'll come out better for it. So that's what the psalm is today. And you will read in this psalm a cry from Asaph's heart about perceived injustice in this world. It's a cry that we have all felt from time to time. We may not voice it. It certainly doesn't sound very spiritual if you say it the way Asaph has. Certainly you wouldn't voice it usually amongst God's people because you'd be worried that maybe you're not looking the most spiritual. But if you've been Christian for more than a couple of years or if you've been through a couple of life's hard knocks, you've probably thought this at three o'clock in the morning when you've woken up to worry about that aspect of your life. So Asaph works through this But at the end, he concludes that not only will God judge justly, but also there is no greater privilege than knowing God himself. You can take the millions of Mugabe, Hefner, and who's the other one? Fidel Castro. You can take all their riches, and it pales into insignificance to the immense privilege Asaph had of knowing intimately our Lord, a privilege which is available to everybody who is a child of God through Christ. So as part of the introduction, I'll just flip over on this page. If you've got one of these pages, just flip over to the front page with that calloused heart on it. There's a quote near the end, near the bottom of um, left-hand side from Cory Ten Boom. And a lot of you will know who Cory is. Cory Ten Boom was um, incarcerated into a a German concentration camp, and she said this, and it really is Asaph's conclusion. You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. As she watched her sister starve to death and die in that concentration camp. And there are some people in our congregation who now know in a very real and a very intimate way that Jesus is all they need. They might still have more than just Jesus, but in comparison to having Jesus, everything else fades. So the first part of this psalm I'd like to talk about is verses 3 to 12, and I call this Asaph's envious descent. And to open it up, I've I've given it away a bit with the title, but what was Asaph's problem in the first half of this psalm? What is his problem? Envy. Jealousy. And specifically, what was he jealous of? 
sorry, Evelina. The prosperity of the wicked. The wicked people were doing well, and he wasn't, or he wasn't doing as well as the wicked were. How how could that affect us today? How what why, what might we be envious of the of the wicked today? Now let's keep it hypothetical. So I'm not saying what are you envious of the wicked for, but just imagine that you're a person who maybe sometime in your walk, or you know a friend of a friend who has been envious of the wicked. What what could have what could cause that today? Children. Children are very complicated because they're very close to our heart and sometimes your children aren't doing well and the children of the wicked are doing well. That could be a health issue. That could be just doing well in school. For the Christian, that could be your children are saved. You look at your unsaved neighbours whose children have been to holiday special and got saved and you think, here I am, I'm a Christian and my children aren't saved and yet, what did they do to get saved kids? Children, that's very good. There was somebody I work with and she works three jobs and she um, she works with me, which is a huge privilege of course, um, she does some peace work and she does some cleaning work at one of the pubs. And she, she's not a Christian, but she's very bitter about people who lie about their universal credit and get about the same amount of money that she gets. And she has barely got time for her children because she's being honest on a universal credit form. And that's not a, a Christian looking at a, a wicked person. That's an unsafe person looking at somebody who is dishonest but Batman and Robin were wrong crime sometimes does pay doesn't it Paul we need more people more police in this country we should be getting soon but sometimes crime pays sometimes being obedient to the word of God does not reflect in your bank account and with that comes Asaph's temptation the temptation to look a little bit squint at your tax return smudging a little bit or maybe when you're talking to somebody not to tell the spirit of the truth what they want to hear just answer their question directly knowing they've asked the wrong question there are many ways that we've we've trained ourselves to be dishonest and keep keep a clear conscience but as a child of God your conscience isn't just programmed by man's morality you have the Holy Spirit programming your conscience as well. And you know what you're doing under those circumstances is wrong. Getting back to our notes. Look how far the psalm writer, the worship leader of Israel, had sunk. Look at verse 13. Would somebody read verse 13 for me? So what is the startling phrase in this, in this one verse? In vain. The worship, people, thousands of people, perhaps millions of people are looking to this worship leader of Israel and in his heart 
He's saying, surely it's meaningless that I have, what does it say, um, verse 13, that I've kept my heart pure and I've washed my hands in innocence. He's saying, live in a godly life. Surely it's not worth it. Surely the rich have demonstrated it time and time again. The immoral people have demonstrated time and time again that good guys come last. If you look at the quote on the right-hand side, just under Mr. Burns, you all know who Mr. Burns is, right? Mr. Burns is the illustration here of the wicked. Um, I grew up in the 90s. I left England in the 90s, and, and the Simpsons were very big in the 90s, and there's Mr. Burns for you, one of the wicked. But underneath there, there's a quote by J.I. Packer, and if you've never read this book, Knowing God, it is probably one of the most tremendous books of the Christian, modern books of the Christian faith, Knowing God. And he writes this, in chapter 3, Christians are not immune to the occasional spells of derangement when the power of temptation presses their minds out of shape. That's the negative and the positive. And these, by God's mercy, do not last. He's just described Asaph here. His mind, because of temptation, a temptation of being envious of the, of the riches and the prosperity and the health of the wicked, his mind has been pressed into some sort of derangement. And that derangement lasts about 15 verses. And by God's mercy, these derangements do not last. And we face the same danger that Asaph did. When we allow the gaudy baubles of this world to blind us to the glory of God. Look at TV. What does this world look at? What is this envy at? I've never watched an episode of this, but I, I have, I'm forced to listen to Radio 1 all day, okay? So apparently there's a program called Love Island. And you're smiling and because you've heard about it, you obviously listen to Radio 1 as well. And it is incredible. It is the world looking at something, they're not getting something that they can't get, and they're envious at it. In South Africa, we had a program called Keeping Up With The, is it Kardashians or Kardashians? I'm not sure. I, I don't even understand why we would want to watch that program. Other than the fact, Asaph says, we go through derangement, or J.I. Packer and Asaph says, we have a derangement of our mind temporarily where we envy the rich and the famous who do whatever they want, wherever they want, with whomever they want. And as a Christian, when we start thinking like that, J.I. Packer would describe that as temporary derangement of our mind. So let's see what Asaph did about that. Um, okay, so if we look at the psalm, I'm moving on to letter C now. Um, if we look at the psalm, where is the turning point in this psalm? Where would you see, where does the fog start to clear in Asaph's mind? The derangement start arranging itself again. Where would you see that? Verse 17. Definitely. I think somewhere in that white space between verse 16 and verse 17. By the time we get to verse 17, he seems to be on his ascent again. Verse 16 he might have plateaued a bit on verse 15, and we'll talk about that now. But verse 17, he's coming up out of it. And 
There is a form of restraining grace. And what I mean by that is God has put something in Asaph's life that has perhaps restrained his full expression of his doldrums is in that you can see in verse 15. If you, if you look very carefully, look at verse 15. Do you see something that's restraining him here? Now remember, this is an elder. This is a worship leader. The whole of Israel look up to this man. Do you see something in verse 15 that already indicates that there is a restraint on his life getting as low as it can? There is a conscience which is restraining. Because he said, we've, we've heard his heart, we've read about his heart from 3 through to 14. In verse 13, surely I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. What would happen if the leader of the worship of Israel stood up in front of Israel and started singing this psalm and stopped there? He says in verse 15, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. And this is a leader. This is like Bob getting up and saying, Christianity is not worth it. What would that do to our faith? Bob would never do that. Bob's human like us, and sometimes we go through and we get this temptation, and I suspect he's just like the rest of us, and he would have those momentarily glimpses of derangement like the rest of us. But he wouldn't stand up in front of us and tell us that, because it would destroy our faith to hear our leaders do that. There is a restraint on Asaph as a leader of Israel that though he's thinking like this, there is a restraint for him to fully express himself because he knows he's going to cause brothers to stumble. And I I think that is a restraining grace we have. But then, as Dave said, we come to verse 17. And then he says, when I tried, verse 16, to understand this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Trick question, where did he go? Where did he go, which was sanctuary of God? What was that, Carol? God's presence. God's presence, yes, that that is the right answer. And that, that is how we take the application for today. That when we're going through these doldrums, we need to seek God's presence. But in the history of Israel, where did he go? Wrong, wrong answer, temple. Right answer, tabernacle. Remember, we're talking about David's contemporaries here at the moment. But it doesn't matter for our application here. Because he went into the sanctuary, the place where you meet with God. And we have not got a tabernacle to meet with God. We have not got a glorious temple to meet with God. Well, we do, but he's human and God himself. Where, what is, what can we learn from Asaph? When you're going through this period of doubting your faith is even worth it, where will we understand this? Where do we need to go? Absolutely. Jesus is our temple. We need to commune with Jesus. We need to use the means of grace that God has put in our life so we can come into God's presence. Now, there's more than one way that we can experience the graces of God in our Christian walk. What, can you name some? How do you come into the presence of God? 
pray. Excellent answer. Okay, so, so praying will be one of the ways that we could enter the sanctuary, if you like, to use Asaph. So how else? Fellowship. Fellowship. Praying, fellowshipping, and that will be small groups, that will be church, that will be these sort of evenings, that might just be going around for dinner with somebody who's a Christian. Praise, individual praise, corporate praise. I thought the the praise that John chose this morning really spoke to me in a very poignant way this morning. I felt closer to God this morning because of the words of the hymns. I'm a bit old-fashioned with my music, right? And I just just loved, I felt closer to God. I felt close, I had entered into the sanctuary of God through the praise that we had. And this evening as well, it was, it was beautiful. My brothers and my sisters and myself standing there, worshipping God together. We are in the sanctuary together. Now let me ask you a question. When you're doubting your faith, when you're feeling that the rich are getting away with it, when you're feeling that it's not worth it, where's the last place you want to be? The last place you want to be when you're going through that is the place you need to be. Your prayers feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling. Coming to church seems a huge chore. And those hymns were the words that you've sung, which were so beautiful three weeks ago. Just You're, you're going through the emotions, but nothing seems to be happening. The other, the other means of grace we have, of course, is God's word. We open our Bibles because we know we need to hear the Bibles and nothing seems to come out of it. It just seems so difficult that when you're in that place, the means of grace that we have been given, fellowship, corporate worship, coming to church, prayer, reading our Bibles, how today in Flitic Christians enter the sanctuary, just seems so difficult for us but Asaph did it perhaps I'm reading into this psalm now perhaps because he was a mature believer perhaps because he is a worship leader of Israel his habit kept him going through the motions into one day he was singing a song and those words came alive to him again or one day he was reading his scripture and Holy Spirit penetrated his doldrums again let me get back to my notes okay so the restraining grace Asaph felt was God's people and he regained his perspective through God's presence a little quote from somebody called Joseph Bailey if anybody's seen the movie or read the book the gospel blimp no you can probably youtube it now it's an old movie it's a, but he wrote this as to the right insider Don't forget in the darkness what you learnt in the light. And that's talking to the situation where Asaph was. Do not forget what he knew as the worship leader of Israel. He knew these truths. What does it say in verse 1? Let's go back to the psalm. Verse 1. He starts before he goes into, but as for me, my feet had also slipped. He said, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart intellectually he knew this no matter how he was feeling at the time 
He knew this to be a case. At the end of the psalm, but as for me, it is good to be in their God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell you, I will tell of all, oh, sorry, I tell of all your deeds. At the end, it's great. But he's gone for a journey to get there. And that journey is not a straight line. He had to go down that valley. The valley of the shadow of death. He had to meet God in that valley. I am with you. My rod and my staff will comfort you. And then he had to ascend back out of that valley before he could praise God again. Here's a question for you, which I don't want you to answer. Self-diagnosis. Are you currently suffering one of those occasional spells of derangement? If so, what can you learn from Asaph's struggle to help you in this situation? Okay, don't answer that now. That's, if, if you answer that truthfully, it's probably too personal to share. But you're not alone. The worship leader of Israel has been where you are. I have been where you are. Every person who's been a Christian for probably more than a year at some stage has been where you are. Learn from the Psalms what you need to do to get out of that. Would somebody read, um, well, first of all, there's a quote from Matthew Henry on the left-hand side. And this is where Asaph starts climbing out of this pit. And he starts seeing that God is righteous and just and the wicked will be judged. Matthew Henry says, the wicked were rather to be pitied than envied. For they were but ripening for ruin. I think these old dead guys say things pretty cool sometimes. Um, If somebody could go to, has anybody got a Bible here? Um, If so, would would you read um, Proverbs 11, 3 to 6? Because Asaph's conclusion here, where he's climbing out of the pit and says, God will judge these people, is not unique to Asaph. Proverbs 11, verse 3 to 6. Thank you. So it's not unique to Asaph. If you share his envy of the wicked, you must know the truth of God is that God is just. He will judge justly. Are you happy that he hasn't judged all sin the second it happens? Would anybody be here today if God judged sin the second it happened? No. God put up with my rebellion against him for years. I should not be here. He would have been completely just to open up that dam like we have in Yorkshire and let the wrath of God to drown me. He would have been completely just to have done that. But he's also merciful. He delayed that. And then he was gracious to me. And he saved me. 
let's not be so quick to want the wicked to get their upcomings because God waited for us but at the same time let us understand that if they do not repent and turn to Jesus they have destruction waiting for them and it's not even destruction it's eternal torment which is far worse than destruction Okay, so Asaph did not only realize the judgment of the wicked, he also repented of his doubts. You can read that in your own time, verse 21, 22. And then he reflected on the benefits of being one of God's children. Three benefits from verse 23 and 24 that I've identified. There are more from the psalm. Um, verse 23, what is a benefit of, um, of being a child of God? I didn't hear that thing. Right, we have a close, intimate companionship with God. Verse 24, first part of verse 24. Right, is that a benefit? Absolutely. And where do we get the counsel of God? Through his word. Sometimes other people can help us understand his word, but it's through his word. And the second part, and here's the absolute beauty of being a child of God second part of verse 24 what's that benefit oh, let's read that again you guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory oh praise God praise God how sweet is that so this is part of a, a series called longing for home that the text was not chosen by me. Bob assigned it to me, and now I have to sort of make it fit into the series, the series of longing for home. So I've just put symbol D. When we read Psalm 73, we can learn of a home to long for because the wicked one day will be cast down to ruin. Where is home? Home is where you don't have to worry about the wicked. Our home in heaven, there will be no wicked there. We will always be with God, verse 23, verse 28. That's what's going to make our home. That's the best bit of our home. And when I say God, I'm talking about a triune God. We will be with Jesus Christ. This is the Old Testament. When it uses the word Lord in capitals, it's talking about all three parts of the Trinity there. Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, Yahweh, I am, Jehovah. We will have all our desires met in him. Verse 26, verse 25, nothing I desire besides you. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And we will live with God in glory. So I'm just going to finish by reading the last four verses. <clears throat> Whom have I in heaven but you. And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. That's the justice of God. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge 
I will tell of all your deeds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even so, Lord Jesus, come. As we walk through this world, it is, it is not easy. You've described, as John mentioned this morning, you described our cross that we have to bear. Lord, there are times where we, we miss the mark. There are times where, despite your counsel and your presence and your promises, we take our eyes away from you. And we look at the, the cheap glass plastic baubles that this world longs after and we are jealous. Forgive us, Lord, our momentary insanity when we look for those. Uphold us, Lord, with a willing spirit. Restore to us, Lord, the joy of your salvation. O oh, Lord, what a wonderful psalm 73 is. Thank you for the, the plain honesty of Asaph. And may we be encouraged that the great worship leader of Israel has the same doubts that we do sometimes. And you are the same God that who we have who pulled him out of his doubts. Lord, if there's anybody here today who has doubts about their faith, Anybody who, who's struggling with temptation, who's trying to justify doing wrong because the wicked are getting away with it. I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit will speak to them this evening and show them the delight that Asaph had at the end of this hymn. That if they just keep going on, that you will pick them up. You will take their feet out of the miry clay and stand them again on the rock of Jesus Christ. Lord, and those who are not going through it now, our time will come. Let us remember this psalm when that comes. This we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask Kevin now to lead us through the Lord's table. prepare us for that we're going to stand and sing us a song it's what grace is mine